by what you've got, which is great if you happen to have a good job, earn loads of money, drive a fast car, have a big house, be stunningly beautiful. But for the majority of us who don't find ourselves ticking any of those boxes, maybe you do, but I don't, where does that leave us? What about the majority of people who aren't rich, who aren't stunningly beautiful, who aren't brilliantly clever? Do we have less worth? Do we have less value? Is the poor man less valuable than the rich man? Is the woman of, of one race less important, less valuable than a woman from a different race? Is a disabled person less important, less valuable than an able-bodied person? Whether we like it or not, the world we live in does give greater value to some people than it does to other people. And we can really find ourselves, if we're not careful, sucked into that, that worldview, to that mindset, to the worldly way of thinking and behaving based upon what people uh, look like, who they are, what they do, whether, where they're from, what they look like, what they earn, all of these kind of exterior things. And many, many people have a tremendous struggle with their own identity. Maybe you identify with this a little bit this morning uh, as you sit here. Struggling with who you are, struggling to accept that other people love you, struggling to believe and accept that you have any value because you don't earn a whole load of money, you don't have a glamorous job, you don't look wonderful, you are not ticking all these kind of exterior things which our world values. And you know, even those who on the surface seem to have it all wrapped up, all these film stars, all these celebrities and so on, the money, the looks and success underneath so often struggle with self-worth. Some of the richest, some of the most uh, famous people in the world who seem to have everything are actually underneath the most miserable people on the planet. Some of us weren't planned by our human parents. And many people grew up with this real sense of rejection, knowing that they weren't planned, that they weren't wanted, and growing up with that real sense of rejection. So many people struggle to believe that they have value, that they matter to anyone, and they're important. And I suspect that many people in this room this morning actually find ourselves, or, or, or you find yourself identifying with that to some degree or other, struggling with some of these issues. So what does the Bible actually say about this? Does it agree with the way things so often are, or does it portray a different angle, a different worldview, a different uh, dynamic, a different paradigm? And what does it have to say about the real value of every human being? Let's read from Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1, and we're going to read from 26 to chapter 2, verse 7. Those of you here last week will be glad to see that I have my new Tesco glasses and not those awful green things I was wearing last week. So we're going to read from Genesis uh, chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 26 through to chapter 2 and verse 7. We're continuing in our series in Genesis. Gary Blair next week will be looking at marriage and uh, looking today at this whole idea of being made in the image of God. So Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. 
and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Genesis 1 teaches us a really a hugely valuable and important point. Remember last week we said that pretty much every Christian doctrine, everything we believe as Christians, finds its root and its source and its origin right the way back in those first 11 chapters of Genesis. The word Genesis means origins or beginnings. And all of our beliefs, if we, if we dig into them and we, and we uh, research into them, we'll find that they have their root right the way back there in Genesis. It is hugely important that we take these 11 chapters seriously and literally as they were written and see that everything that we believe is rooted there. Genesis 1 teaches us this hugely important point. It is God who created. It is God who created. God spoke and it came into being. The world isn't a freak of nature. It's not a random accident or the result of an explosion in space billions of years ago. This world was created by a creator. And the Bible reveals that creator to us as God. The God who made you the God who made me. And so as we come to verse 26, we reach the sixth day in this creation account, the final act in God's creating, and he creates mankind. And Genesis 1.26 says this, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. But why did God create the world? Why did he create mankind? Why did God create you? Why did he create me? What on earth are we doing here on earth? Why are we here? These are the kind of big questions that perplex people, isn't it? Have you ever asked yourself those questions? Who am I? Why am I here? And where am I going? Who am I? Why am I here? And where am I going? And these are the big questions. What is life all about? But I'd like to suggest an answer to two of those questions this morning. The first two, who am I? And why am I here? Who am I? And why am I here? The Bible says you have a purpose and you have a reason for existence. You are not an accident. You may not think much of your life. Other people may not value your own life very much. You may not have been planned by your parents. You may not have been welcomed by your parents. But you are no accident. You are not an accident. God says in Jeremiah 1 verse 5, speaking to Jeremiah, but these, these are things are true for all of us, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And that tells us two things. It tells us that it is God who creates and it tells us that God knows us before we even were uh, in existence. In Psalm 139, David writes, speaking of God, he says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Wow! That means that we are not accidents. We are not random mutations. The fact that our parents did or didn't plan our conception is neither here nor there. The reality is that God is our creator and all of our life, and this is mind-blowing and mind-stretching, but all of our life 
is intimately known by him. So write that down on your outline. This is on your seat. If you want to use those, you can. If you, can, if you want to leave it behind, that's fine. But the first point this morning, I am not an accident. The world will tell you that you're an accident. That is the outcome of, uh, of, of evolutionary thinking, of Darwinianist evolutionary thinking, that we are accidents. You are not an accident. And you are created by God. You have a creator. You are not an accident. You are created by God. Whatever the circumstances of your conception, it was God who planned your life. You may not have been planned by human parents, but God planned your life. And it was God who created you. And not only are none of us accidents, no matter what the circumstances of our birth, we each have deep significance and value. Why? Well, three reasons. Firstly, because God created us. And that alone means that we have deep significance. We, we are created by God. We're not freaks of nature. We're not accidents. We're not the product of evolution from slime to in, in, an intelligent being. And I were formed in our mother's wombs by none other than God himself. Secondly, we have significance and value because we were created for a purpose. And it's the purpose that is hugely important. The Bible says this, everything comes from God alone. Everything lives by his power. And everything, and maybe you underline this, everything is what? It's for his glory. Everything that exists is for the glory of God. You exist for the glory of God. In Isaiah 43 verse 7, God says this, Bring to me all the people who are, who are mine, whom I made for my glory, whom I formed and made. So there you have it. The reason you exist, the reason that you're on this planet, is to bring glory, to bring pleasure to Almighty God. And what better, what more important reason could, could there be for our being here on earth than to bring God glory, to be here for God's glory, for God's pleasure? It's not that God needs us. God isn't a lovesick individual, desperate for us to exist and desperate for our love. It isn't that at all. God is Trinity, Father, Son and Spirit, perfectly uh, united and perfectly content in their eternal love one for the other. God doesn't need our love. God doesn't need our glory. But in his wisdom he's chosen to create us because he wants to live in relationship with us and he longs for us to bring him glory. So write that down. I was created to bring God glory. That is your purpose for living. That's my purpose for living and existing. I was created to bring God glory. Thirdly, we have significance, deep, deep significance and value because God loves us. God loves you. God loves you with a deep, deep passion. And that tells us something, doesn't it, about the value, about the importance of our lives, of all lives. The Bible says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You have been created in the image of God and you are unique, special, valuable, so valuable and so precious to God. In fact, he sent his Son the Lord Jesus, to die for you. Let's listen to this track from Max Lucado. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Aren't you glad the verse doesn't read, for God so loved the rich, or for God so loved the famous, or for God so loved the Europeans, or the Africans, or the sober or successful, the young or the old? No. When we read John 3:16, we simply and happily read, For God so loved the world. 
How wide is God's love? Wide enough for the whole world. Are you included in the world? Then you are included in God's love. Oh, but surely there's a limit. Surely there has to be an end to his love. You'd think so, wouldn't you? But David the adulterer never found it. Paul the murderer never found it. Peter the liar never found it. When it came to life, they did hit bottom. But when it came to God's love, they never did. When asked to describe the width of his love, Jesus stretched one hand to the right and the other to the left and had them nailed in that position so you would know he died loving you. We were created to live in a relationship with God. We were created to live in a relationship with God. God loved us and God longs and, and desires that we would love him back. And this morning I want to invite you to take that step, if you've never done that, of beginning and entering into relationship with the God who created you, with the God who loves you, the God who loved you so much that he gave his son with his arms spread wide there on that cross for you at Calvary. And if you've never entered into a relationship with God before, with the God who loves you, then can I invite you to do that today? To turn away from your old way of living, to turn away from your sin, and to make Jesus the Lord of your life. To thank him for dying there on the cross for you, for absorbing the wrath of a holy God, the wrath, the punishment that we should have taken, that you should have taken, that I should have taken. To thank Jesus for dying there in your place and to ask him to forgive you. And if that's something you'd like to explore further this morning, then do come and chat with me afterwards. I'd be delighted to try and help you with that. And not only do our lives have deep significance and deep value to God, each one of us is unique. There's no one else quite like you. There's no one else quite like me, which is probably good for everybody else's uh, sanity. But there's only one of us. We are utterly unique. God knows everything about you. Now that's quite scary in some ways, but it also should be a real comfort to us. God knows exactly how many hairs or aren't on your head for some of us that's getting less than others but God knows exactly how many hairs are on our head he knows every single minute detail about your life and about my life David in that psalm we read earlier talked about when I uh, get up in the morning you are there when I go to bed you are there I can't flee from your presence whatever I'm doing David says you know everything about me and you're always there with me you know this morning God knew that and planned that you would be here in this service God knew and he planned that you would be here in this service. You may not have planned that, but even, and even before your parents did or didn't plan that you would exist, God knew that you would exist, and God knew and planned that you would be here in this room this morning. God has left no detail to chance. He planned it all for his purpose. Look at what the Bible says. From, from one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the earth, the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them and exact places where they should live. See, God is intricately, intimately involved in every detail of your life. And you may feel as though your life has little or no value, has little or no meaning or worth this morning. And it may not by this world's standards. But let me tell you today that you were created by God, you were created in His image, unique, special, loved by God and created to bring him glory. But let's go back to Genesis 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
And many people in the world today have grown up with the idea that they are simply the latest stage in a process of evolution that we've evolved from monkeys and before that, originally from some primeval swamp. Yet the Bible, and I'm more than happy to chat with you afterwards uh, about the reliability uh, of Genesis and the first 11 chapters of Genesis. It's not myth, it's not symbolism, it is accurate. The Bible tells us something very, very different. That is what the world would have us believe. But the Bible tells us something very different. It tells us that we were created. And it was in the image of God. Not a random mutation, but we were made in God's image. Every other animal that was created was created according to its kind. Yet only man, the Bible tells us, was created in the image of God. And that tells us that we're unique and different and set apart from the rest of creation. The fact that man is made in the image of God means that man is not identical, but is similar to God. You should have a list of attributes or a list of what this means. Often we wonder, well, what, is, what does it actually mean that we're made in God's image? Clearly God doesn't have a nose like me, thank goodness, and clearly the Bible teaches that God is spirit, so he doesn't have a physical form. So what does it mean for us to be made in God's image? God look like me, but here's, on your outline, there's a list of uh, truths, if you like, taken from the Bible that, that should explain a little bit about what it means to be made in God's image. So we have a, a variety of human characteristics that animals either don't have or that we possess far more than any other animal and they show our likeness to God. We've got a knowledge of morality, of what is right and wrong. God has implanted and put in, in our very heart, in our very being, a conscience. We have a God-created spirit that is immortal and it's that spirit within us that, 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 again, that marks us out as being unique from the rest of creation. And it's that spirit within us that enables us to relate to God because he is spirit. We have an ability to reason and to think logically and to learn. We can enter into profound relationships, relationships like marriage, the community, the church. We have physical aspects. God isn't physical, God is spirit, but we have physical aspects that reflect God's attributes, his communicable attributes, aspects about his character. So we have an ability to see, to hear, and to speak. And we've got an ability to grow more like God in character. And of course we should be doing that every day, growing more like God. And these things mark us out as unique in God's creation. And they show us to be like God. We will never be gods. We are not gods. We're not little gods. We are made in his image. He is God. We are creatures. But we are made in his image. And these things show us to be like God. But the deepest significance in the phrase made in God's image is this. God has created people as his counterparts. And human beings, that's you and I, can have a history with God. God wants to walk and talk with us. He wants to live in relationship with you and with me. God has created you and I to be his counterparts here on earth. And it's true that God has created us to have a relationship with. So next time the world values, the world tries to tell you based on its values that you are of no worth or of no value, that, that you are somehow less than other people, remember this, that that is not how God sees you. God sees you as somebody unique, made in his image, made for a relationship with him to bring him glory. And true humanness is found in a personal relationship with God. And it's only when we enter into a relationship with God that his glory, that his image is properly seen in us or begins to be seen in us as it was meant to be. So being made in God's image is not about something that we can have or that we do. It's not about our looks. It's not about our wealth. It's not about our abilities. It's about a relationship. Ultimately, that's what it means. It's about a relationship with God. Human beings are created in such a way that their very existence 
is intended to be their relationship with God. And any time any human being doesn't have a relationship with God, they're not fully functioning in the way that God created them to be. At the fall, that relationship was lost. And it's only when we come back into relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ that we begin to be renewed and become the people that we're meant to be. And we are only completely fulfilled on earth, living in relationship to and with God, to enjoy God, to take delight in Him, in our relationship with Him. And not only are we His counterparts, we are His representatives. As God's image and likeness, we're here to represent God, to be the means of bringing Him glory and be the means of bringing Him pleasure. Isn't that amazing? To be made in God's image, not a random mutation over billions of years, made in God's image, in a moment, by the Creator. Yet there's something deeply wrong, isn't there? Because we live in a world that doesn't value people. It values what they can do, what they become or could become. And so we need to ask God to, to guard our hearts and minds. Scripture talks about renewing our minds and taking ourselves back and washing our minds on a daily basis with the values of Scripture. Because it's so easy to get dragged into and sucked into the world's values of valuing people based on how they look, what they earn, their status, their titles, where they live or whatever else it might be. So we need to ask God on a regular basis to change our thinking so that we begin to see people, other people, the people in the house next door to us, the people we see on TV, the people on the other side of the world, wherever they are, seeing them as he intended, people made in his image, his representatives, his counterparts here on earth, because our society has become so twisted that we've begun to think of human beings as commodities rather than as people actually made in God's image. Human beings are now commodities rather than as special people made in his image. People talk about their right to have a child as if a child is a fast car or a nice house. People talk about quality of life as if a person who can't do the things that I can do is less of a person than I am. We've fallen for this lie, this great lie, that before a child is born, it isn't as much a person as we are, and therefore we can remove it if it makes life inconvenient for us. Now, I'm not denying that there are extreme and difficult cases and difficult moral dilemmas around abortion. For instance, perhaps when if a pregnancy goes ahead, the mother would die. Those things are difficult. But did you know that in 2013, in 2013 in England and Wales, there were 185,000 331 abortions. 185,331 people made in the image of God, created by him, valued by him, and loved by him, who were killed in the womb. And out of those 185,331 abortions, only 192 of those took place because the life of the mother was at risk. Let me repeat that. Out of 185,331 abortions, only... 192 of those took place because the life of the mother was at risk. It is God who gives life. And life doesn't begin when a person leaves their mother's womb. Remember some of those verses we looked at earlier? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb, your eyes saw my unformed body. You see, when we remove the Creator from the picture, human beings lose their distinct value and we end up in a situation where human beings that might cause inconvenience or that wouldn't look the part are discarded. Professor Gilbert Maylander writes these words, those human beings who permanently lack certain empowering cognitive capacities, as well as human beings in stages of life where those powers are absent, 
are simply the weakest and most needy members of our community, yet they are still members of our community. Friday just gone, the House of Commons, and we give thanks to God that the House of Commons rejected an attempt to introduce the beginning of assisted suicide in the UK. And we give thanks to God that that, is, that, that, that was done. But that will come back, and it will keep coming back, and it will keep coming back. And we have to stand firm and take our place and be counted as much as we can and pray that we don't allow that kind of thing in our nation. I want to flag up a Christian organization here in Newcastle called uh, Tyneside Pregnancy Advice Center. And the website uh, should be up there on the screen for you. Have a look at that afterwards. But Sarah, um, who is uh, a doctor, Sarah is just going to come up and share a little bit about uh, what TPAC does and uh, her own involvement with it. Thanks, Sarah. Um, so I don't know how many of you are familiar with the work of TPAC or Tyneside Pregnancy Advice Center. I used to be involved with it as a student. Um, it's a volunteer-run Christian charity um, who believe in the sanctity of life and that life begins at conception. And they provide a free confidential um, service who, for women who find themselves in a crisis pregnancy. Um, they offer the women a uh, consultation, um, time with a counsellor who has been trained, um, where the lady has an opportunity to talk through the issues um, surrounding the pregnancy, their thoughts and feelings and fears um, in a confidential environment. And then they can talk through the different options available to them. Um, they don't try, they can't coerce, they can't make a person decide not to have an abortion, but their, their job is to, or what, they, what their desire to do is to provide the different options available and show that there are other options available other than abortion. Um, so they provide information and facts, so it's a very factual thing about pregnancy, about um, abortion and the effects of abortion, about adoption and about fetal development. Um, they also provide, if the ladies will, in an ultrasound scan, um, a lot earlier than what they would get if they were to go and see their midwife. Um, and that's an opportunity for the lady to see the baby that's growing inside of her. Um, I don't know how many of you are aware of this, but actually from as young as eight weeks, um, you can see the baby's heartbeat. Um, if the lady then decides to keep the, the, her baby, um, they then provide further support um, throughout her pregnancy and afterwards as well. Um, they're, they're a volunteer-run organisation. Um, they rely on the help of um, local people who can help out and provide as working as receptionists and um, ultrasound scanners, and etc. Um, they're a wonderful organisation um, run by Christians. If it's something you'd be interested in, you should have a look on the website. Um, but please do pray for them and the work that they're doing um, to provide this um, free service. Thanks, Sarah. So, yeah, if that's something that you'd be interested in, Perhaps you might find yourself pregnant and you weren't planning on that. Then before you go anywhere else, go and check out that service and see that the help they can provide. And if perhaps you find you've got friends or, or, or family members that find themselves with an unwanted pregnancy, try to help them uh, connect with that service because it's, uh, it's a great service that's going on run by Christians across the area. We've invented processes by which we now see embryos created and then stored, sometimes later to be destroyed, uh, or, or now used for harvesting. And, and, and these are precious lives made in God's image, yet treated as commodities. We hear about cloning, about harvesting cells for the good of others. We live in this very topsy-turvy, twisted world where it seems that animals sometimes are, are more highly rated and more highly treated and highly valued than a human embryo made in God's image. And the rest of God's creation is important, and the Bible has lots to say about that. And we must work hard to look after it but it's there for the benefit of humanity and it's to be subject to humanity, not the other way around. We're not here to worship creation. That's what Romans 1 teaches, how we've rejected the creator and begun to worship the created things. Creation is here for our benefit. Now we have to steward it, care for it, look after it, 
but it is here for us, not the other way around. God says this in Genesis 1.26, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Mankind is to rule over the other creatures and over the earth, and we need to think carefully about how we do that, how we treat the planet, how we uh, can, be, can take care of the environment. Yet so often we treat humans with less dignity than we treat animals. And when we treat humans made in God's image with less dignity than we treat animals and birds and fish, then there is something seriously twisted and warped and wrong with our world. Human life is precious. Human life is God-given. And we must treasure it. We've got to value it. We've got to respect it. Because with God, life isn't about achievement. It's, what, it's not about what a person can achieve. And if this person doesn't achieve certain things or isn't physically able to do certain things, then that life is no, isn't as important as others. God doesn't value us based upon what we can or can't do. With God, life is about relationship. He's created you and I who were once helpless embryos in our mother's wombs. In his image, special, unique, yet set apart with the intention that we would live for him, live in relationship with him and bring him glory. And all humanity, from the weakest, the most helpless members of our society, be they unborn, be they disabled, be they old and frail, to the rich and the famous, every single member of our society is unique, is special, is made in God's image and is deeply valued by God. And we need to bring our thinking into, into line with God so that we begin to see humanity as God sees humanity seeing all humanity of supreme value and worth, whatever race, whatever color, whatever class, religion, ability, wealth and age, because Jesus died for everybody. So write that down. I need to view all human beings as people made in God's image. I need to view all people as, people, as human beings made in God's image. For the Christian, there should never be even the slightest hint of racist attitudes, treating one race or one color or one nationality or language or ethnic group as different or somehow inferior to another group. That is an abomination. That is disgusting. It's so anti what the Bible teaches. And we need to uh, evaluate our own hearts towards other people. How do we view other people? How do we treat other people? Because every single person, I am not better because of my skin color or my color of my eyes or the language that I speak than anybody else. We're all valuable, all equal, all made in God's image. Many of us who struggle with a lack of self-worth, with perhaps insecurities, with low self-esteem, remember this, you are not an accident. You were created by God in his image. He knew you before you were conceived. He knew you'd be here today. He knows where you'll be next Sunday. He knows where you'll be tomorrow. He formed you, he brought you into being to bring him glory. And he created you to live in a relationship with him. He loves you so much, loves you with a passion that Jesus died there on the cross for you. Life is precious. All life is precious and valuable to God. You are precious. God loves you. I'm going to pray and then we're going to listen to a song and the words are going to be up on the screen. And after the song, the service will be over. But if you want to come and chat with me, do come and talk to me afterwards. Let's just pray. Father, we bow before you as creatures made in your image, humbly, reverently, we come before you this morning and we worship you. Forgive us for when we have bought into the values of this world, of treating human life as a commodity or different human beings as being less valuable than others, less precious or somehow unequal. Oh Lord, forgive our nation for the evil that abounds in our land towards people and human beings. Move once again and, and restore your, your biblical godly values. 
Move in our lives. Help us, we pray, O oh Lord, to be more conformed to your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you value us, that we are unique, we're special, and that you died for us. Help us, O oh Lord, to live in relationship with you and every day to bring you glory. Thank you that you made our lives. Help us now to think, what can we do with the life you've given us? How can we live for you? How can we serve you? We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.